The Buddha said, peace of mind is the highest happiness. And I hope that all of you at some point in this five-day retreat have tasted that kind of happiness so that you know that you have the capability of feeling that way and living with an open mind, open heart. It's a great gift just to know that it's possible. And uh, it's been a real pleasure to be part of that process that may have given you a glimpse into that kind of mind, that kind of happiness. One of the great gifts of the Dharma for me has been to bring me close to the mystery, the mystery of this existence, the mystery of this universe, I haven't come to any conclusions. <laughs> I still don't know who I am, really. I don't know why I exist. I don't know why there's a universe. Maybe nobody knows the answer to those questions. Why? Except the crows. <laughs> because they are always saying, because. <laughs> because. <laughs> There's a great poem by the Sufi poet Hafiz. He says, O wondrous creatures, by what strange miracle do you so often not smile? I think it's usually because we are always projecting our likes and dislikes on the world. We see everything as ordinary. We take our lives for granted, our food, our everything we kind of take as just uh, accepted as the way it is. And I think Dharma has helped to teach me that uh, it's much sweeter to live with a that don't know mind that Trudy was talking about, to not have such uh, expectations and not have such a bland sort of acceptance of, of the universe. Life becomes a, a habitual condition. I would like to um, propose that enchantment and awe are actually revolutionary acts. As a part-time advisor to the king, Lao Tzu says, when the people lack a sense of awe, there will be trouble in the empire. That's one reason why we should cul cultivate wonder whenever possible and learn to drink deeply at the fountain of amazement. We might then become less insistent on rearranging the world. We won't need to consume so much in our endless search for satisfaction. Wonder is subversive. 
Einstein. One cannot help but be in awe when one contemplates the mysteries of eternity of life, of the marvelous structure of reality. It is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little of this mystery every day. He says, never lose a holy curiosity. So to arouse your holy curiosity, I'd like to lead you on a little reflection tonight. A reflection I call, be here, wow. (laughs) And I'll start with the mysteries of the cosmos. Carl Sagan said, if you want to make apple pie from scratch, first you have to make a universe. <laughs> I was reading in the New Yorker the other week, a uh, recent New Yorker, uh, the scientist was talking about parallel universes. And someone said to him that he, they couldn't imagine parallel universes, other universes next to ours. The scientist said, but if you hadn't been born into this universe, could you imagine this? Could you dream this up? On the opening page of my internet search engine, I get the astronomy picture of the day. It's a wonderful uh, mind-expanding, mind-blowing uh, practice. It really puts everything in perspective. Uh, recently, I saw a picture of a newly discovered galaxy, the Sombrero Galaxy, which, as you might imagine, is shaped like a Mexican hat and contains 600 million suns. Now, when people read these stories about what we're discovering about the universe, I, I'm, I'm surprised we all don't just fall to our knees and just, you know, gasp and, and call each other. Did you hear? <laughs> Another one. Less than a hundred years ago, we knew of one galaxy in the universe. The latest estimate is there are 100 to 200 billion galaxies, not solar systems, galaxies, containing 30 to 50 billion trillion suns. (laughs) Get your mind around that? (laughs) There's a great uh, image. They say that at just a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang, the universe was six feet in diameter. Now, that's a universe you can get your mind around. <laughs> the latest estimate is something like out of 10 billion trillion cubic light years large. Something in, the, in that vicinity. <laughs> <laughs> and what's really interesting, this new story uh, about uh, this new creation myth, really, um, is um, it's very strange. It, the scientists say all of that, all those galaxies, this whole universe, came out of virtually nothing. Uh, I want to write a new creation myth with, with a sort of biblical flavor to it. 
in the beginning, say the scientists, there was nothing. <laughs> and it was good. <laughs> I mean, nothing can ever be wrong with nothing, right? In the beginning, there wasn't any space. So there was no place to put anything. And it was good. In the beginning, there wasn't any time. Nothing ever got done. Nobody cared. And then suddenly, there was a big bang. Now, some people came to the scientists and said, if there had been nothing, what banged? <laughs> and they went back and, and, you know, did more research and calculations. I mean, it's all, a lot of it's done with mathematics. And they did finally decide there had been something after all. A dot. A singularity. A point smaller than an atom. And so it came to pass, saith the scientists, <laughs> that dot exploded in a big bang. <laughs> it happened 13.7 billion years ago today. <laughs> Happy birthday to you too. <laughs> so we now know that we're living in this gigantic, unfathomable universe. What's out there? Well, very probable that there is lots of life out there. The new Kepler Space Telescope is scanning the skies. Actually, it's just been focused on one piece of the sky, looking for planets that might support life, and has found already hundreds. Hundreds of planets in what they call the Goldilocks Zone, not too hot, not too cold. <laughs> Spinning around these suns out there. Hundreds of planets uh, in just that little piece of the sky. They think there's thousands in our galaxy alone. Planets that could support life. And considering 100, 200 billion galaxies, very likely there's lots, life's everywhere out there. I think that's great news because it takes the pressure off of us. <laughs> right? We no longer have to carry the entire burden of meaning in the cosmos. <laughs> Maybe it's not all about us. What a relief. One of those planets that they're, they're studying uh, isn't too far away. Uh, Gliese 581G. <laughs> That's its name. And uh, it goes around its sun every 37 days. The years just go whizzing by. You know? <laughs> and Gliese 581g is only about a dozen light years from the Earth. So if there are beings living on that planet, you can expect they're probably about to watch their first episode of I Love Lucy. And not in reruns, you know? It's just getting to them. If we found life in another galaxy then we would have to become galaxy-identified, right? We would no longer just be Earthlings. We'd be Milky Wayans. <laughs> so, we're still using the energy of the Big Bang 
that primal explosion is what created all of the energies of, of the universe. Right now inside your skull, millions of synapses are firing, we hope. Maybe less than when you got here. <laughs> but that's the energy of the Big Bang trying to comprehend the Big Bang. We're like these pieces of the universe wondering about itself. The astrophysicists say there may be other universes, parallel universes, multiverse, the multiverse theory. Weird theories about how you, there's a version of you in all of this infinite number of universes doing something just a little different than you're doing. I mean, if it's infinite, then, you know, everything happens. Even the things that you didn't do happen <laughs> somewhere. I know it's so bizarre. But, you know, we've always had this sense of, our, of ourselves, first of all, being the center of the universe and also this sort of being the whole picture right here. In Asia, in the Asian wisdom traditions, they've always had a much more vast sense of, of time and creation. Uh, the Dalai Lama was once asked if they had the Big Bang in Tibetan Buddhist cosmology. And he said, hmm, oh yes, but bang, 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 many bangs, <laughs> many universes. The Hindus say their creator deity Brahma, every time he blinks his eyes shut, a universe is destroyed. Every time he opens his eyes again, another universe is created. You can try it for yourself. It actually works. <laughs> this is from uh, the Avatamsaka Sutra, where the Buddha tries to explain. It's one of these fantastic Mahayana sutras where they list all sorts of things and they calculate things and it gives you a sense of their cosmology and their, their mythology. Uh, the Buddha is trying to explain how many world systems are known to him. And uh, the, he, there's all this calculating going on, squared, uh, numbers being squared and to the 10th power, and it goes on until it reaches a digit that's 30, it reaches a number that's 35 digits long, and then it goes on to say that that number squared is an incalculable. An incalculable to the fourth power is a boundless. A boundless to the fourth power is an incomparable. An incomparable to the fourth power is an innumerable, an innumerable to the fourth power is an unaccountable, an unaccountable to the fourth power is an unthinkable, an unthinkable to the fourth power is an immeasurable, an immeasurable to the fourth power is unspeakable, and an unspeakable to the fourth power is uh, unspeakably unspeakable <laughs> and untold. Multiplied by itself is a square untold. Those are, that's how many universes or world systems are known to a Buddha mind. So that's what he was doing while he was meditating all that time. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are in this very strange place. 
I mean, strange if, you know, you don't take it for granted, see it as ordinary. The other day, I, I led a little guided uh, sense of trying to get you into the fact that we're all riding on this rock through space. And I, I mentioned that we're spinning around our, our, our axis, the Earth's axis, at about 1,000 miles an hour. We're spinning around in our orbit around the sun at about 66,000 miles an hour. However, the entire solar system is orbiting through the Milky Way galaxy at the rate of about a half a million miles an hour. The Milky Way, part of the Virgo cluster, is speeding at nearly a million miles an hour towards some point in interstellar space known as the Great Attractor. And everything attracted to the Great Attractor is traveling at the speed of about 800,000 miles an hour toward another supercluster of galaxies called the Shapely Attractor. <laughs> We're just hurling, hurling through this vast reaches of space along with all this other stuff, all these suns. What does it mean? <laughs> Just thought, gotta look to someone. Give me a minute. And this universe we're living in is a real trickster, as we've realized in the last couple hundred years or so. You know, it, it's really interesting how our story about ourselves and the world has changed so much in the last century. The revolution in science and physics and in biology and chemistry and, you know, we, we're really getting a whole new story about ourselves. I don't think we've really quite felt our way into it yet. We don't quite get its spiritual implications or what it really means for our lives, for our behavior. But it's really radically different than, than the old story we used to tell ourselves. But uh, this universe is a real trickster, it turns out, because there's really not much here. It looks like there's a lot of stuff, but everything we perceive is made of atoms, and atoms are 99.999% empty space. Remember back in high school, maybe your physics teacher said you take the nucleus of an atom and, and uh, blow it up to millions of times till it's the size of a pea. The electron going around that nucleus will be the size of a grain of sand, and it'll be a half a mile away. There's hardly any matter to matter. So why aren't we just falling through the floor and the earth? And I mean, this is like a magic act. Mm -hmm. If your body's made of atoms and atoms are mostly empty space, what's holding your clothes on? <laughs> Not only does the emperor have no clothes, the clothes hardly have any emperor. <laughs> We're like optical illusions to each other. As it says in the Heart Sutra, Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. That used to be a kind of weird, mystical thing, but turns out pretty accurate. Of course, now they've, they've broken the atom down into three subatomic particles, quarks, leptons, and gluons. 
not quite sure how it works, but I think the gluons hold the quarks and the leptons together. What else would you do with a gluon? <laughs> they, you know, they say everything in the universe is composed of quarks, leptons, and gluons. That's, that's what it all boils down to. So why does it look like there's so many different things? Another, another part of the mystery, huh? Um, physicists now uh, are saying what the mystics have known for many, many centuries. And that is that consciousness plays some major role in the creation of our realities. Uh, the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum physics says, and I quote, there is no reality in the absence of observation. As one physicist put it, when we're looking, there are particles. When we're not looking, there are only probability waves. So I'd like to try a little scientific experiment here tonight. If you'll all cooperate, please. Uh, everybody look over to this side of the room. Everybody, come on, we all got to cooperate. This is, okay, now that should mean the other side of the room has disappeared because nobody's looking at it. Okay, let's check it out. <laughs> Somebody was peeking, maybe. <laughs> there's a rumor, apocryphal story perhaps, that there's a group of llamas up in the Himalayas holding the world together by paying attention because they know we all have to live through this karma of this life on earth. A haiku. No mind? No matter. No matter? Never mind. <laughs> I really, one of my favorite things in of modern science was when they discovered, or, yeah, they discovered antimatter, you know, the antiprotons, antineutrons, the whole list of things had negative, had, had other sort of brother sister particles that were the opposite charge. And, and uh, the universe is filled with antimatter, and every time a particle of matter meets a particle of antimatter, they annihilate each other. Now, doesn't that give you some sense that the whoever, whatever, created the universe in the first place might have been somewhat ambivalent? <laughs> you know, particle of matter, it's be so much trouble particle of antimatter, you know, it just... But the discovery of antimatter raises important questions for us humans. Now we not only have to ask, what's the matter? We have to ask, what's the antimatter? <laughs> and does it antimatter? <laughs> but the scientists have come to the conclusion really essentially that there's nothing here at all. That uh, matter, as one physicist put it, matter is gravitationally trapped light. It's all a light show. Everything is in process. There is no thingness. As the Buddha said, thus shall ye view the world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning, 
In a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom and a dream. How come it seems so real? Sokni Rinpoche, great Tibetan teacher, said, you Americans have a real problem. You think everything is so real. Jack Kerouac, one of my great heroes, said, happiness consists in seeing everything as a great strange dream. The new science, of course, is showing us uh, the truths of Dharma, giving us real lessons in Dharma. For instance, Anicca, impermanence. Impermanence is so pervasive, you know, I mean, we hardly ever recognize it. It's so ordinary, everything changing all the time. You see it so clearly when you're sitting, you know, just can't hold on to any moment of experience. But the physicists are finding impermanence at uh, levels that are just astonishing. I love this. uh, In the subatomic world, we find a great lesson in Nietzsche. In the subatomic world, ordinary impermanence seems like a long nap. Physicists are now measuring change happening in a millionth of a trillionth of a second. And they call them attoseconds. And then they're also measuring change happening in a billionth of a trillionth of a second. And they call those zeptoseconds. They're also measuring change happening in a trillionth of a trillionth of a second. And they're calling those yoctoseconds. Atto, Zepto, and Yakto. Now, doesn't that sound like a Marx Brothers routine? <laughs> See, the jokes are coming so fast. <laughs> it seems like it's all a joke. <laughs> so this reflection... gets into the area of causes and conditions and how things turned out this way because of uncountable, unknowable numbers of circumstances that happen to be just so. Um, If the nucleus of an atom had been just a little bit bigger or smaller or the electron going around it had been a little bigger or smaller, or the electromagnetic force holding, trying to pull atoms apart had been a little stronger, or the nuclear force holding them together had been a little weaker or stronger. Just the tiniest fraction, atoms might have come apart, and then no elements would have been created, and then, you know, no, no carbon-based life forms created. Everything had to be just the way it was. Going back in streams of physics and biology and history, so many precise causes and conditions resulted in you being here wondering at the improbability of you being here and wondering about it. 
elements, you know, I mean, I sometimes think we should, we should form a new religion and, and uh, based on physics and natural causes of things and the, the way of uh, the sciences. And I think maybe we, we, we could chant the table of basic elements as a kind of ritual. <laughs> Hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon. It's kind of got a mantra quality to it, doesn't it, with all those ons and ms? It might remind us, might remind us what we're made of. James Lovelock, who uh, came up with the Gaia hypothesis, said it's really unusual and very improbable that the climate and uh, chemical properties of the Earth throughout its history have been optimal for life. It's very, it's very uh, unlikely to happen by chance. He said that the... Uh, for this to have happened by chance is as unlikely as to survive unscathed driving blindfold through rush hour traffic. For some reason, the oxygen level in the atmosphere has remained at a steady kind of 21-22% over the entire history of life on this planet ever since the oxygen uh, atmosphere was created by this, the cyanobacteria. And... Uh, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.